If you don't have a Bible, can I encourage you to go find one, go get one? Uh, let me just say this. I find it to be, there are some really great apps out there for iPhones and iPads. However, let me encourage you to get a physical Bible as well. Now, I don't believe that somehow a physical Bible has the, you know, uh, it's, it's just leather and paper. That's all it is. But it is something wonderful to have a Bible you can call your own. And that you can look at it and then you can get familiar with and it becomes one of your best friends in life. It just, it's there. It's, and you know, sometimes I, you might be like me where somebody gives you a scripture verse. I'm like, you know, where does it say that in the Bible? And I, I'll usually be able to tell you the reference, but, but more than likely, even if I don't know the reference, I can tell you it's in the top right corner. It's right there, and there's a, there's a funny-looking paragraph. I know exactly where it is. And so it's a wonderful thing to have a Bible of your own. Uh, just go down to verses or, you know, go online. There's some really great Bibles out there. Get one that's, that's not cuckoo bananas. Get one that's <laughs> maybe get a couple. You know, here I am tr- not only telling you to get one, I'm telling you to get five. Uh, get, get one that's, uh, that's a, what we call a formal translation that's close to the original. It's you know, the original is in Greek and Hebrew, so you, if you can't read that, you've got to start somewhere. Um, but then, you know, pick a Bible that, that sticks pretty close to that, and then if you want to get another, a uh, couple other translations that, that are a little bit easier to read and help come alive, well, then bring that into your arsenal and use them together, and I think you'll have a, a good time doing it. But get familiar with it. You know, the Bible is the only book that, that reads us right back. You know, we, all, we read books, don't we? But the Scripture, it says, studies us. It examines us. It reads us. Sometimes that's not too comfortable. Sometimes we just want our business to be our business. But if you ever open the Bible and all of a sudden as you're reading, all of a sudden you're feeling like it's, it's hitting some points that haven't been hit before or it's unveiling some things, well, the Scripture says that that's what it's supposed to do. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, bone and marrow, and it's able to, it's, the Bible says it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. That's, right, that's, right. that's a really good thing. Because sometimes I need to know, God, I, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I feel this way. And you open the word of God, and as King David said, your word, O oh God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You have all sorts of people that come and are confused about where they're going or where they came from. Well, I'll tell you, what you need is a light, and this Word of God is that light. So we're not preaching about that tonight, but I just want to encourage you to be intimately familiar with the Word. Don't just, don't wait for somebody to preach it to you. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're born again today, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Bible says that the the Spirit of God, the anointing that abides in you, that lives in you, is able to teach you everything that you need. The Bible, you know, the scripture tells us also that God gave us teachers and pastors and evangelists and prophets and apostles. He gave us people to teach us. But at the same time, it's the Holy Spirit that does the teaching. And if you've got a Bible and you're not in church and you're just at home, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit wants to teach you something. So let's get your Bibles out tonight. We're going to use them. And I'd like us to uh, turn to the first chapter of Philippians, if you could. I want to talk something that's a little bit different than what we normally talk about. Uh, but related in some ways. I'd like to talk a little bit about ministry and uh, the guts of ministry, the heart of ministry. And uh, so how many people here tonight would say, I'm in some form of ministry right now? I'm in some form of ministry right now. Okay. Uh, Quite a smattering of hands. I realize that some people are timid to put their hand up in that situation because they're like, I don't want to put my hand up and then get slapped down later and find out, you know, no, you weren't supposed to raise your hand. But I'll tell you this. 
Every believer in some way is in ministry. Now, you might not say, I'm not in full-time ministry, I, or you might say, I don't know what that ministry is, but, but following Jesus will involve ministry. And so, no matter who you are, you will be ministering to people because that's the heart of Jesus. Now, you might say, well, I don't, I don't speak. I, you know, I, don't, I don't do public speaking well. Well, first and foremost, God can use anybody, and I'm proof of that. But secondly, it, public speaking is not the only way we minister. In fact, it's one of the small ways we minister. There's a lot of big ways that we minister which involve you just getting out there. And, and so I want to share with you some things from the scripture that I think are so important to ministry. And, um, uh, you know, some things that I've learned from those that have passed on uh, their wisdom to me as I grew up and some things I've learned. And I realize most of you here might say, well, here the young guy in the room. Um, and that's true. Uh, but I've grown up in ministry. I've grown up, grown up around it. Uh, I'm now, we celebrate 10 years as pastoring, and that seems this, this summer, which is cool. I know that's a drop in the bucket for some, but for me, it's just been a good ride. But uh, I, I want to just, the, the nice thing and the wonderful thing about the kingdom of God is that there's fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, and you don't just learn what you've experienced, you learn what's passed on. And one of the things that I was surprised to learn from those that went before me was the the huge emphasis they put on why we do what we do and the heart behind it. And if you didn't have the heart, not only would you have, not have the power, but you'd get burnt out real quick. And so I want to share with you some things from the scripture that I, that I think we can glean from the life of Paul, the life of Jesus that shows us um, how we're meant to minister and how we're meant to let our hearts be used in that. You can't minister outside uh, from, a, from a position of, of being guarded and isolated there's only so long you can do that, and it won't be real. It won't be authentic. If you really want to minister to people, you have to, you have to let them into your heart. And that's, sometimes that's dangerous because when people get let into your heart, they can hurt you. But the scripture calls Jesus the shepherd and the guardian of our soul. He's the one that, that protects our heart. So it is, a, it is an amazing um, action of trust. When I open my heart and let people in and trust that God will take care of my heart, and I don't need to take care of it. Yes. That, that if he called me to minister, he called me to open my heart to all sorts of people, on, and he'll take care of what happens. Yes. And you don't need to be led in fear. Amen? So I want to read you something from Philippians chapter 1. Now, the Philippian church is different than some of the other churches. They had a special relationship with the apostle Paul. He seemed to have a special place in his heart for them. And and that's one of the first things you've got to realize is that uh, God will put people in your life that are on a different level than other people. Yes. You don't have the capacity to, uh, you know, disciple 500, 1,000 people. You probably don't have the capacity to disciple more than, more than a couple handfuls of people or more than, a, you know, more than Jesus did. But I'll tell you, throughout your life, God will bring people in and he'll bring them into your heart. And not that you don't have an open heart to everybody, you do, but there'll be certain people that God lays on your heart. And there'll be certain people that he places on your heart when you're praying, when you're reading the word, when you're going out. There are certain people that he's brought near you so that you can do something in their life and you can help them and you can love them. And so for Philippians chapter one, he says this, he says in verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
Now, I don't know much about the Philippian church beyond what's written in the Bible, but I'll tell you this. There's no church on the planet, past, present, or future, that's ever been so perfect that, that you can just say, I'm thankful for you because they were so nice or they were so good. It takes some faith, and it takes, some, it takes the heart of God to be able to say this. I mean, there are some good churches out there, and I, I, I think you guys are some of the best people in the world. But I'll tell you, for him to say, I thank my God every time I think of all of you, that, that takes something from the Lord. <laughs> because, because you know what? You just don't have perfect people in a perfect church. A perfect church would become imperfect the, the, the moment the first person walked in the door. Because we're not perfect people, right? And so to be able to say, I'm so thankful for you. Every time I think of you, I'm thankful. I want you to think about the people God put in your life. I'm sure you're thankful for them. Every time you think of them, are you thankful for them? I'm sure that they don't always give you reasons to be thankful. I'm sure they give you reasons sometimes to be frustrated or sometimes reasons to be stressed out. Maybe you're thinking about your own kids right now and you're saying, I love them and I am thankful, big picture thankful. But I can't say every time I think of them that the number one emotion that comes to mind is thankfulness. Sometimes it is, sometimes it might not be. But this is something that God is doing on the heart of his ministers. is something he's doing here in Paul. He's saying, every time I think of you, I, I, I thank God in my remembrance of you. In verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. now that word that we use for participation is that Greek word kinonia, which means fellowship, partnership. They had partnered with him in the gospel. They partnered with him. They were, they were not just bystanders. They weren't just uh, uh, people, spectators that were watching from afar. These are people that had joined with him through their giving and through their prayer. And he said, when I think of that, it gives me something to be thankful about. And he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Now, let me tell you this. I don't think he could say that about everybody on the planet. I don't think he should say that about everybody on the planet. There are just people that God puts in your heart. Now, I don't know how many people were in Paul's heart when he wrote this. And there's probably a lot more than just the people he's writing. But there are people that God places in your life, maybe it's for a season, maybe it's for a long time, that you're meant to be praying for, that you're meant to be offering thanksgiving for, you notice it seems like he prays about them a lot, doesn't it? Yes. Now, I know what it's like as a pastor. Of course, Sister Alvina will tell you, as pastors, you and, and Tia, you'll, you'll be praying for the people in your church because they're in your heart. You, you, you pray for them all the time. For Paul to be praying not only for the Philippian church, but I'm, think how many churches this guy touched. Yeah. How much prayer time does he have? But he says, you know, I, every time I pray for you, I thank God. I, I bring you up often. My prayers are with joy every time I pray for you. So those people in your heart, ultimately, those are people you're meant to pray for. Those are meant to, people you're meant to thank God for. But he says, I have you in my heart, so I, it's okay. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. He says this. He says, uh, it's right for me to feel this way because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. 
So through everything I've been through, you've been through it with me. Not everybody, not everybody in the New Testament could he say that about. Not every church he ever went to, not every group of people he ever ministered to was in this category. But there were a category of people that he felt partnered with, that he felt were meant to walk this journey with him. And you can look at Jesus' life, and he has different levels, doesn't he? Jesus ministers to the crowds with, with great love and compassion. He loves the multitudes. He pours out his heart for them. But he doesn't spend all his time with them either, does he? He spends more time than just the multitudes. He spends more time with the disciples. Now, there were over 70 of those guys. In fact, at, at times, maybe even quite a bit more than that. And these are, so a lot of times when we think of the disciples, we think of 12 guys. Well, we know there were lots more. In fact, in Luke, it says there was a large crowd of people that followed him. So he gave them a bit more time and, 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 and attention than maybe just the crowds. Then he had 12. These guys, he spent a lot of time with these guys. Not just preaching to, but spending life with them, fishing with them traveling with them. Then he had three that he brought up to the mountain with him. And so we see these levels of relationship, and you have to know that that's okay. Sometimes we think that's not okay. I got to be, I got to treat everybody the same. You got to love everybody. You got to honor everybody, but you don't have to, not everybody's the same position in your heart. Because there's some people that God's going to bring along and you have a special place in their life, and they have a special place in yours. And let me tell you this. These aren't the people you like the most. In fact, God seems to bring the people that rub you the wrong way often. Come on. You, you, think, that the, the, you think that the 12 Jesus walked around with were the most compatible with him personality-wise? Really? No, I don't think so. But here's the deal. It's about who God puts you in, God puts in your heart. When Jesus prays in John 17, he says this. He says, those that you gave me, I've kept in your name. I've held them. And not one of them, he says, not one of them has fallen away. Not one of them has perished except for this son of perdition, in other words, Judas, that the prophecy might be fulfilled. So at the end of his life, He's saying to God the Father, there are 12 guys and 11 of them I've kept this whole time. In fact, 12 until the moment where he betrayed me, but 11 guys, I stuck with them, they stuck with me. It's amazing. It's amazing to think of how many people Jesus preached to, how many people he ministered to, and he's proud of those 11. There's that moment where everybody leaves him. Everybody just leaves him. And he's not disappointed by that. But you notice he says this, you gave them to me, but they were yours. They're yours, but you gave them to me. Now, I know that we belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Not one of you belongs to me, and I, you know, not, not, you can't say, these are my people, these are the people of God, and yet, as a pastor, I do know that there's a responsibility for me. I'm just using myself as an example, where the, where the Bible says that these are people that God's entrusted to you. It doesn't mean they're yours. You don't own these sheep. They're, they're the sheep. Just, like, just like I belong to the chief shepherd, so do you. But he places in amongst his people, he says, I'm going to give you shepherds. Well, he gives a lot of other gifts too. And there are people in your life that you say, they're not mine, but in a sense, I feel like I belong to them and they belong to me. 
They're in my heart and I'm in theirs. And that's all right. That's good. That's, that's God-ordained. So I would say it's important for you throughout your life to figure out who God has placed in your life and why. Now, somebody, you know, many people have used the example of Paul because he's the guy that's written about more, besides Jesus, he's the guy that's written about almost more than anybody else in the New Testament or that's writing more than anybody else. And they use him as an example because they might say, well, everybody needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And what they mean by that is that Paul had relationship, uh, relationships in his life. He had a, a Barnabas in his life, which was an equal. This is a, a, a guy that can stand by your side and get on to you when you're a little off pace, and you can help him when he's a little off pace, and you help each other. Then he has a guy named Timothy. He's a young guy. And Paul says about him, he says, I feel like a father to you and you're like a son to me. And in fact, he says, there's no other, there's no one else that's quite like Timothy. So they would say, well, you need somebody in your life that's like a, a father, a mother to you that you're, that, you know, at some point in your life that you, that's speaking into your life, that's able to correct you if you need it, that's able to, to help you and, 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 and that you're, you're looking up to, but you also need people in your life that are at the same level as you, right? You need those people you can encourage and they encourage you. And then you need somebody that you're pouring into at some point in your walk. God will bring people to you that they need you. And you might say, I don't know what I have to offer to them. What in the world do I have to say to them? But you know, you pass on what was passed on to you. And you, you, you provide for them like you were provided for and you pray for them like someone prayed for you. And that's how the kingdom of God works. So when we have these people that God's placed in our heart, it is something that God is doing. And he says, you guys partook with grace, of, you are partakers of grace with me. You were with me through this old time. Then he says, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, this one scripture stops me short quite often. And it, it, it gets me and it captures me and it sometimes, sometimes pulls me up to a different level because when you think about this, how many people in your life, now don't answer this, this is a, this is a I, don't want, I don't want people shouting out numbers, uh, but think of this in your heart, think of this in your mind. How many people in your life could you say, you really long for them with the affection of Christ. Not just you like them, or, and I'm not talking romantically. I'm talking about people that you, you have the love of God for. It, it is not just the general love that you have for everybody. It's, it's like, I long for you with the affection of Christ. Like, I feel what Jesus feels for you. That's, that's powerful. And in fact, we should, we should, that is really the heart of every ministry is, is, is letting the heart of God be felt through you. Now, the word for affection here is actually a word which means like, the, is a word that they talk about their intestines and their kidneys, like their guts, inward parts. Like, I, I long for you right in here. I feel you in my guts. I got you in my guts. Now, that's not the most romantic thing, is it, Tia? I would not write my wife uh, uh, an anniversary card that says, Honey, you move my bowels. That would not be a good thing. Right? You don't want that, right? No. She doesn't want that. But this is a, this is a saying that they use in, in, in that day and age, which meant in the deepest part of me, I feel something. 
In the deepest part of me, I feel something. He's saying, this is, this is not of me. This is of Christ. Right in the deepest part of me, I feel for you what Christ feels for you. That's powerful. That's big. And so here's what he says. I'm going to read that one more time. God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer when I think about the people that God has put in my heart. God, let me feel for them what you feel for them. Not what I naturally feel for them. And you might naturally like them. You might say, these are good people. I love them. But that's not enough. You want to feel what Jesus feels for them. You want, you want to have that, that depth of love for them that Christ not only has for you, but that Christ has for them. And this is only possible through faith. This is something that he gives to you. You can't conjure this up. You can't sit at home going, oh, I got to love them more. Oh, I got to love them more. Oh, I got to love them more. You can't make yourself love like this. How do you get it? You just, this is something you got to ask from God. This is something he freely grants to you. And you can say, Lord, you have put, and he will do this. You've put flawed, incomplete people in my life just as much as I was flawed and incomplete. You put them in my heart. Now, I don't know why you put them in my heart. Lord, why did you put this person in my heart? And he may answer that question. He may ignore it. Why did you put these people in my heart? But more importantly, can I love them like you love them? Can I feel for them what you feel for them? This is the only way that real ministry is able to happen. You can play the game. You can prance around. You can preach a good message. You can sing a good song. You can walk around Lloyd Minster and do nice things. But what does 1 Corinthians 13 says when it talks about all these things that we do without love and they don't count? One of the things that, that stops me short is, is that we often say, well, love is, all, is not what you say, it's what you do, right? I mean, love is, love is a verb, and I believe that. But it's more than just what you do, because as I said a few weeks ago, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I gave all my money to the poor, and I didn't have love, it wouldn't count for anything. So here's a guy giving all his money away. Don't you think that's an act of love? That you think, I mean, surely that's, if love is a verb, that's the biggest, biggest movement. That is, that is an action right there. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. But he says, if you did it and you didn't have love, it doesn't even count. That's a big thought. So Lord, I don't want to do any ministry unless it's with the same affection and the same heart that you have. And everybody in the room today, if you are a believer, if you've called Jesus Lord, whether it was, uh, you know, last, last century or last year or last week, whoever you are, he, is, he has called you number one into fellowship with him and praise God for that. That's your prime purpose as a human being is to know God. But he's also left you here on this beautiful planet because of all these other people here that need the love of God and need the gospel and need what you've received from him. They need to get that too. You know, it's interesting that he ties, his relationship with them is tied together by the gospel. We've participated in the gospel together. We've been partners in this together. Isn't it funny that the diverse group of people God brings together for a mission? 
And you'll find when we get put together with one heart and one mission, it doesn't matter where we came from, God puts these people and he knits your heart together. And one of the scriptures in the Bible says that, that, that your hearts may be knit together in love. Now, you know, when something is knit together, you can't pull apart without something tearing, right? Without it being painful. And in fact, that's why God's knit us together so that it, this is not just, uh, you know, we're going to partner together because we, we're going to use each other for a bit. I need what you got, you got, you need what I got. But when God partners people together, it's so much deeper than that because your hearts are connected. And that's why church gets messy. And unfortunately, that's why so many people get hurt in church. It's not because there's anything wrong with church. It's because people with people aren't perfect. And the amount of vulnerability and the amount of openness that you need to really be part of the body of Christ, at some point your hearts are going to get connected to people. And you can't pull away without something tearing. So everybody in the room, if you've been a believer for long enough, at some point you might have had a moment where something felt like it tore a bit. Mm, I don't know. And, and, and your solution is either, Lord, I'm going to let you heal my heart so that I can love with the love that you have, or your solution is, all right, I'm going to put some walls up. And you know what? I'll, I'll show up. I'll go to the barbecues. I'll go to the birthday parties. We'll be buddies. We'll be pals. But I'm really not going to let anybody in. I'm going to keep people at a, a bit of a distance. And you know what? You won't get hurt near as much. You won't be used by God near as much either. Because if you can't let them into your heart, you can't have this level of ministry that Paul had. You really can't minister to people you can't love. Now, I want to show you some things in the scripture. That, that, that term I use, the, the guts, I long for you with the guts of Christ, the, the, in, the organs of Christ. That shows, up, that, that shows up as a verb in the New Testament, in fact, in the gospel several times. I want to read you a few times, and you, you might recognize some of the words that I use. That word shows up in Matthew 9 when it says this. It says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. This is Jesus that felt this. They were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You see, when Jesus saw people, Another version of this story that's told from another perspective of a different disciple says that when he saw this, he was moved with this compassion and he began to teach them. It's funny because sometimes we think of teaching as so dry. You know, it's like a professor gets up and just dryly talks to people. And if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But when Jesus taught... He taught from this place where it literally says that he was moved on the inside when he saw them. And it moved him to do something about it. And at that point, what they needed was to be taught. So he taught them. At other points, they needed something different, right? It says here, and if we were to skip ahead to Matthew 14, it says, when he went ashore... He saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. You see, I've had people ask me, and you've probably had the same question. We've heard the debate, why did Jesus do miracles? Some will tell you it was just to prove he was the son of God. 
Now, certainly those signs and wonders did prove that he was, didn't they? But that wasn't the only way, he, that wasn't the only reason he healed people. The scripture says he healed them not because he was trying to show off, but because he genuinely was moved on the inside. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're going to prove you're the son of God, aren't there a bunch of ways you could do that? See, isn't it funny that Jesus never once proves he's the son of God by blowing up a mountain? He could have done that, right? Hey, for all the people he raised from the dead, don't you think he could have knocked a few dead right there? That would have proved something. He healed the lepers. Couldn't he have made a few lepers? Couldn't he have literally made pigs fly? Absolutely. So it wasn't just about flexing his muscles and showing how much power he had. There was a purpose. Because what he did not only demonstrated the power of God, it demonstrated the character of God. In fact, it wasn't Jesus coldly looking back going, well, I suppose I should do some miracles so that these people believe in me. It says here he was moved in the very inward parts for these people, so he healed them. That's what Jesus felt constantly throughout his ministry. In fact, let's just go on. It's just so we can hammer this home. And I'm just picking from Matthew. You could go to the other gospels. In Matthew 15, verse 32, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I feel compassion for the people. It's that same verb there. I feel, I feel this. Now, I say verb because in the Greek it is a verb. I feel this moving of my inward parts for them. I feel that on the inside, a deep compassion for the people. Because they've remained with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I don't want to send them away hungry, for they may faint on the way. And of course, you know from this, he went and fed all those people with just a small basket of food. He fed thousands of people. If you were to go on to Matthew 18, it talks about Jesus tells in a parable of of a master that whose servant owed him a great debt that he could never repay. And it says this master was moved with compassion for this guy and forgave his debt. Matthew 20, it says that Jesus was going to Jericho and two blind men were sitting by the road. And they heard that Jesus was passing by and they cried out, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, to be opened, moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. This literally is the guts of ministry. And if you can't have that, can't have ministry at all. Everything else is surface. When the Apostle Paul said, I long for you with the affection of Christ. I feel for you something on the inside of me that Christ feels for you. This is a man who was okay standing by holding the coats of people. Before he received Jesus, he held coats of the people who were stoning a man to death for proclaiming Jesus publicly. And he didn't blink an eye. The Bible says he was in hearty agreement with this public execution of an innocent man. You can't tell me that all this affection he's feeling is just a natural thing. 
This is something. He's, he doesn't say, I, I long for you all with all the affection I've got. He says, I long for you with the affection of Christ. Yes. Now, men, I know this sometimes is a strange thing for us to think about because we think, well, it's the women that feel all these things. God gave girls emotions and, and boys muscles. You know, well, that's not quite the way it works out. <laughs> I know that's the way I felt when I was a young kid. But it's the truth of the matter is, is that Paul's a tough guy. This is a guy that got stoned, like stoned is a not stone, stone, rocks thrown at his head until he basically was dead. They thought he was dead. Whether he was dead or not, I don't know, but God healed him either way. He's dragged out of the city. He gets up and walks back into the city where they stone him to death. That's not a wimp that does that. It's a man who was gladly beaten over and over again, whipped within the point of death several times. This is not a wimp. This is a guy who has allowed the affection of Christ to work its way into him. Jesus was the toughest guy that walked the planet because here's a guy who even when they're ripping his beard out doesn't yell out. Even when they're beating him and once again whipping him within inches of his life, all the while he could have called down angels to whip them and to set them free. He didn't. Here's a guy who's being crucified, and in the midst of being crucified is forgiving the people who are crucifying him. That's not a wimp. So guys, we're not talking about, and I mean, I use that as, as just facetiously. I know that men and women all have emotions. I'm just joking. But sometimes we think, well, you know, that God, gave, God gave some of these ladies, you know, the gift to be a... Uh, you know, just to feel those things. And, and us, we just need to do this. And, and of course, that's silly. We need to have the affection of Christ, all of us. Men, women, children. We need to feel for them and feel for each other what Christ feels for us. And that is uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. It's not fun at every moment for you to feel the depth of compassion. Because you know why it's not comfortable? Because it doesn't allow you to do nothing. It literally doesn't. You know, it just, ah, you know, when you see every time Jesus felt this compassion, it did, he didn't say he felt compassion, he just kept walking. It always caused him to do something about it. And in this case, Paul is the one, he's, he's bowing his knees before the Father on their behalf. He's not, he's not with them. He can't physically do anything for them. But he can do something that's more powerful than anything you could do with your hands, which is get on his knees and pray for him. This kind of compassion, this kind of uh, affection of Christ, this, these guts of the gospel, the guts of ministry will move you to have to do something about it because you won't be able to sit still. You won't be able to just leave it alone. You'll have to get on your knees and pray for him. You'll have to phone him up and say, are you okay? You'll have to be there for him. And that's a good thing. Guys, that's what Jesus feels for you. He feels that for you. You don't serve a dispassionate, cold God, one that says, I don't care if you live or die. You serve a God who is intimately connected with your life and cares for you. The Bible says, let's cast our cares upon him, for he cares for you. Yeah. And he's put that heart in us. Yeah. Everyone in the room today has been called to some area of ministry. Yeah, that's right. Life is ministry. When you're following Jesus. And he will bring people into your life. And I can tell you this from experience. He will bring people in your life. 
that you wish, you wish you could fix them right away, but you can't. Sometimes you wonder, God, why me? But he loves them as much as he loves you. And sometimes he brought that person in your life to teach you something. And sometimes he brought them into your life so you could teach them something. Most of the time it's both. And if you're going to be able to minister to the people God sends your way, I want you to just consider right now. Just think about it. I asked you this earlier, and I want to ask you this again now that we've talked about it. Who in your life would you say has been that person that's poured into you? And who in your life are the people that you're noticing that God's letting you pour into them and letting you bless them in different ways? We're all at different stages of the journey. Some of you are in that area where you've been serving God for long enough that that God's brought lots of people to you. Some of you are so new at this that you'd say, I don't know if there's anybody I can teach, but you find that God is allowing you to, using you in different ways to bless people and to pray for people and love on people that need to be loved. I want you to open yourself to the idea that God's going to not just be on the surface level of your life. And Sometimes we're saying, God, use me. And what we mean is, tell me to do something and I'll do it. I'll use my hands, I'll use my feet, I'll use my mouth, I'll do it. Thank God for that obedience. But there's a different level. He wants to use your hands, he wants to use your feet, he wants to use your mouth. There's a different level though. When you start to pray, God, use my heart. That's inviting him a lot deeper than some people are comfortable with. Because you start to feel stuff you you don't want to feel. He'll wake you up in the middle of the night with a burden to pray for somebody. And you can't sleep until you pray for him. He'll say, I need you to put some money in that person's hand. And if you delay for a week, you feel like, oh, I can't take it anymore. It'll cost you some time. It'll cost you some energy. It'll cost you some, some uh, of, of your um, <laughs> space. But it's all worth it. Because... The Bible says this, and I believe it, the one who waters will himself be watered. What you're looking for in life, if you'll let God be that to somebody else, you'll find that you, you get more and more back to you, that, that the more people you love, the more you're finding out it's just love just come pouring into you, you find, and that's, you know, that's just the way God works. He, he won't make you pour out something you don't have. He's going to pour into you so that you have more than enough to pour into somebody else. So this is the guts of ministry. I want you to feel the guts of what Jesus feels. I want you to feel it in your most inward areas. I want you to feel it right in the guts, the compassion that he has for people. Now, if you don't have that today, and if you say, that's foreign to me, and I'm not sure about it, that's okay. Just, just talk to God about it. Watch and observe in your life, who is God bringing into my life? And when he does, I want you just to do what you see in the Word here. Pray for them. Love them. Thank God for them, even when you think you have nothing to thank God for them about. They've given me no reason to be thankful. They give me, I have no material when it comes to thanking God. Those are the best. Those are some of the best people. Trust God with this. Trust God with your heart. And allow him, because I'll tell you this, if you ever want to see the blind eyes open, you want to see the lame walk, You want to see the hungry fed. You want to see people delivered and set free. It's not enough to say the right words. 
It's not enough to know the right way to lay hands on somebody. You've got to be moved with the same thing that moved Jesus. That matters, and I believe God's got that for you. Would you stand with me? We're going to ask the Lord for that today. If you mean it, if you don't, if you say, I can't pray that, I mean it, well, then don't pray it right now. Just wait. Just go to God about with it. But tonight, let's ask the Lord to open up our hearts. Lord, I ask you tonight, I, I know that what we talked about sometimes goes so far beyond our capacity and our ability. I, I know the cost of ministry, but I know the reward is far greater than the cost. And Lord, we thank you that what we have received, we've received freely, so we're going to give it freely. I ask, Lord, that you would work on our hearts. If we've built walls, if we have put up protections because of hurt or scars, lower those walls, Lord. Heal those hearts that we would be able to say, I'm allowing people into my heart and I'm allowing myself to feel what Jesus feels for them. I'm not going to judge them after the flesh anymore. I'm going to stop judging them based on what I know and based on what I feel. And I'm going to start feeling for them what Jesus feels for them. And thanking God for them as Jesus thanks God for me. And I want to feel what you feel, Lord. So open up our hearts and put yourself in them. Lord, that we could be true ministers of the gospel. True ministers of the love of God. True ministers of the power of God. Of the truth of God. Of the grace of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.